right, next week's going to be homemade enchiladas, all the stuff that goes with it, homemade hot sauce. Uh, going to be an excellent meal next week as well. Be sure and invite somebody. Be sure and come back. Bring somebody with you. We'll look forward to our men's lunch next week. Today we're going to continue our study on being a man after God's own heart. We're looking at the life of David, uh, who God actually himself calls a man after his own heart, after God's heart. And we're looking at what does that exactly mean? What did it mean for David? And really more than that, what does it mean to us? Can we be, could we ever be in a place that God could say, this one right here, this man right here, they're a, a man after my own heart. This is our third week. If you'll remember, we'll, we'll back up a little bit. If you remember, the first week we came and we saw that a corrupt day calls for godly men. A corrupt day calls for godly men. And what that means is the mess of our world, just, just the mess of our world. Just look at the garbage this week. The mess of our world, these corrupt days, calls for godly men to stand up and say, you know what, this is what God has said in his word. This is who I am in my faith relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our age needs to see men stand, no matter what is politically correct, no matter what is popularly accepted today, to stand and say, you know what, I, I stand for Jesus Christ. My hope is in him. I'm going to, I'm going to commit to his word, and I'm going to stand for his glory. And so in a wicked day, we need godly men to stand up. That's the first thing we established last week. The second week, we saw as we moved forward and we saw David as he's picked for the, for the kingship to be the king of Israel, we see that it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's not the world's opinion that matters. It's not outward appearances that matter. We're pretty good at having a different outward appearance. It is a matter of the heart. And we, we know David, King David, messed up. He was a liar. He committed adultery. He had a, a murder facilitated. And yet God was able to say, This man, this man is a man after my own heart. Here is that type of man. Let me tell you today, God will use men who totally commit, fully, completely devote themselves to Him. Men who their heart beats for Him. It beats for his glory, for his purpose. And I'll just tell you, today there is no room for half-stepping. There's no room for half-hearted commitment. There's no room today for a divided loyalty. And I think that's what's getting us off track today. We, we want to serve God, but we also want to serve and operate in the world. I want to tell you, in these wicked days, there's no room today for a divided Loyalty. God is looking for people who would say, you know what, my heart is given to him, completely given to him. I wake up in the morning, my purpose is to honor the living God. Well, today we're going we're gonna to take a look at, we're going to move on, we're going to take a look at maybe one of the most well-known accounts in the Bible. Maybe, maybe the, the most well-known account, but for sure one of the most well-known stories, accounts in the Bible. And that is the story of David and Goliath. Uh, people know that account. People tell that account. People are talking and they refer to that account. But I want to tell you today, it is an account. It is, it, is a, it is a story, an actual story that is often misunderstood. It is often misinterpreted. And because it's misunderstood and misinterpreted, most of the time it is misapplied. You see, and I'm going to just tell you right up front, uh, here, here's the point of today. You see, this 
actual historical account is not about the giant. See, a lot of people think it's about the giant. It's about the giant that he couldn't overcome, that the world was intimidated by. And, and then we really want to apply it to ourselves. It's the giant in your life. I want to tell you, this story is not about the giant. Not about the giant that's in your life. This, word, this, this account is not about even David. Well, it's about David, and, and well, let's see what he did, and let's do that, and that's what we'll be. It's not about the courage of David. It's not how are you able to defeat the giants in your life if you have the courage that David has. No, very simply today, this account is about the one true living God. That's what this account's about. This story that we're going to move through, this account is about our awesome God, the God that we serve. It's not about the giants out there that we have to fight, not the giant that stands in your life, not about the courage and the willpower that you're going to have to muster up to defeat the giant. It is about our awesome God. So let's move. we got a lot of verses to cover. We're really going to look at the entire chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 17. <clears throat> First two verses say this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socha, which belongs to Judah, and they were camped between Soka and Azekah and in the Ephesidim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. Now, the story starts off, here are the two armies. This, we have the army of the Philistines. Now, understand, the Philistines were the arch enemy of the nation of Israel. They were the arch enemy. When they're coming into the promised land, they're there and they're an enemy. As, as they're existing in the promised land, they're there and they're an enemy. This is the arch enemy of the nation of Israel. They were an aggressive people. You know, some people are just docile. There's some groups of people that are docile. And there's some people that are aggressive. This was an aggressive, violent, fighting set of people. This, this nation of people, they were a fighting people. The, the historical account uh, they had overcome the Hittites previously. When they overcame this set of people, they took uh, their information. The Hittites were very skilled in the use of iron, of ironworks. Well, the, the Philistines take this, this information, and as, as an aggressive people, they begin to build superior weapons. They begin to build armor. And because they have this knowledge and they have the iron and they have the, the skill of an iron worker, they take that. Instead of building plows, they're building spears. And instead of building things that they might use in industry, they're building shields. And so they become a, a set of people who are built to fight. Now think about that. This set of people, they were built. They were ready. On their mind, their mindset was to be aggressive and to fight. They were constantly a, peep, a problem to the Hebrew people. Continuing on. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now I want to just look at one word here, the Hebrew word for champion. This wasn't a guy who'd won all the arm wrestling contest. The word, the Hebrew word for champion here means a person who stands out a person who was distinguished or who was way above everybody else. And so I want you to see the picture here. Here is a nation of warriors. 
and this one stood out. This is a warrior that stands out amongst the midst of warriors. He is their champion. He is the one, because of his skill and his aggression, he has distinguished himself out of a nation of fighters. Continuing on, verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had a bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung around his shoulders. The shaft of a spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of a spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. Now understand, let me give you a picture of this guy. He has distinguished himself as an aggressive warrior. Not only that, the Bible says here he is nine foot nine inches tall. The armor that he wore, the coat, the armor coat that he wore was made up of iron plates. The coat that he wore alone would have weighed 200 pounds. So here's this man, nine foot nine tall, inches tall. He's got on a set of armor. The, the coat alone weighs 200 pounds. The head of his spear, now the beam of his spear was like a weaver's beam, a big old post, but the head of his spear weighs 20 pounds. And that's who Goliath is. Verses 8 and 9. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel and he said to them, Why do you come out and draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Verse 9. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall become our servants and serve us. He issues a challenge to him. Verse 10, again, the Philistines said, now listen to this, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The word defy there in the Hebrew means I disregard. It really, it really had a heavier meaning than that. I disregard you, but I do it in ridicule and I do it in scorn. You're not worth my time. I disregard you like spit in the wind. I have no use for you. I scorn you. And that's what he says. The army of Israel, I defy you. I mock you. I scorn you. And he stands there in front of him, verses 11 through 16. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. My lands, how crazy is that? And they were greatly afraid. Now David was the son of Ephrathim, a Bethlehemite in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among the men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul in the battle. They belonged to the army. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest Now the three oldest followed Saul. David's the youngest of these sons. These three guys belong to the army. Verse 15, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Basically, he's an errand boy. You need something, he takes it to him, and then he goes back and he he serves the sheep. Verse 16, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Now, notice here for 40 days, I I think that's important to see this. He thoroughly embarrassed the army of Israel. It wasn't one day that he offered a challenge, but he comes out every single day. 
He comes out day after day. He comes out the 19th day, and he comes out the 26th day, and he mocks them, and he laughs at them, and he challenges them. Is there not one person here? Can you imagine this whole army as they stand there and look down? And here they are. They have the armor on. They have the clothes of a warrior. And somebody comes out in their midst, and they're dressed like they're ready for a fight. And he says, come and fight, one of you. Come and fight. And he mocks them. Is there not anybody here? Is there not one person? You're dressed like a warrior. Why won't you come and fight the 29th day, the 33rd day? Is there not a person here? And they don't even want to make eye contact with him. But I think they probably don't even want to make eye contact with each other. And they stand there, and they're thoroughly disgraced. Verses 17, moving through verse 25. Then Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain. Take them something to eat. And these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, to their unit, and look into the welfare of your brothers. See how they're doing. And bring back, good news, bring back the news of them. For Saul and they are all of the men of Israel are there in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now he thought they were fighting. They're just standing there getting mopped. Verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in the battle array army against army. Then David left his baggage. He gets there. He has the food. He leaves his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. And he ran to the battle line and entered in in order to greet his brothers. He goes to see his brothers who are there in the army. As he was talking with them, behold the champion. The Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is going to defy Israel. Now listen to that. He says, I'm coming to defy you. I'm coming to insult you. They say, surely he is going to do that. Verse 25, And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. And he will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. They see this guy and he comes and they say, surely he's coming to defy us. And they start to talk amongst themselves and say, you know what? The person that fights him, the person that kills him, the king's going to make him wealthy. The king's going to give him his daughter. He's going to be married to the king's daughter. He's going to set his whole household free. And that's going to be his reward. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now, the reproach means the embarrassment, the shame from Israel. What's going to be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Here it is, the second half of verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God. See this. King says he's going to make this guy rich. David hears that. Skinny little kid, he's bringing the food to the camp. He, he, he says, 
Now, what's going to happen to the person that defeats him? He really, you have to see this in context. He really says this. That's what we're going to get? That, it's like winning the lottery. So you mean to tell me if you kill him, you get that? You get the king's daughter, your family's set up, and you're going to be wealthy? Tell me again what we're going to get? That's what we're going to get? I'm going to win the lottery today. He's pretty excited. They've been standing there for 40 days looking at their shoes. He says, not only are we going to kill this guy, I'm about to be rich and married to the king's daughter. I'm about to cash in today. That's, that's what he says in verse 26. Listen to the second half again. Here's the difference. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Now listen to me today. Here's the difference in the whole thing. David knew God. David was was over there licking his chops because David knew God. You see, because of how he was trained and because of his nation's history, he knew that the God he was talking about was the creator of all things. And so he stands there. We're on this valley and the river runs through it. You know what? My God created all this. He knows his God's the sustainer of all things. All these things hold together because of his God. He knows his God is powerful. He knows his God is mighty. He knows his God is faithful. More than just those other things, he knows what his God will do. You see, he knew in his head what God had done. His dad and his granddad had told him a story about one time. We were slaves in Egypt. And one time we were, we were leaving Egypt and we were leaving there and we brought all of our people and we're tired and we're poor. We had a bunch of broke down wagons and we left and we got there and we got to a sea and we were standing there on the, at the edge of a sea and here comes the entire force of the army of Egypt. And they're coming out and they got horses and they got chariots and they got swords and they got shields. And here we are, a bunch of poor people standing by a sea. And he says, you know what? On that day when the sun went down, that army was crushed and they were gone and God's people still stood. He knew the power of his God. He knew the might of his God. He knew his God was faithful. And so he said, you know what? I'm about to cash in. This this guy taunts the armies of the living God. Are you serious? He taunts the army of the living God. He knew who his God was. Because he knew who his God was, he trusted God. You see, there's the deal. Let me ask you a question today. Do you know God? Do you know who he is? you know what he's done? you know what he's done in the past? Because the truth of today as we sit here is this. He's not changed. He's the same God. And I sit here this week and I watch all this crud in North Korea and this crazy whack job has a nuclear missile and, and China says, you know what, if you, if you attack him, we're going we're gonna to side with them and, man, we don't want to mess with China. And you, you look at what happened in Charlottesville and all the hatred going on there and you look at all the goofy politicians and their stupid answers and you sit there and go, you know what, we're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. We don't have a chance. Look at our world. Look at the corruption today. Look at the avalanche of of sorrow and crud that's cashing in on us. You know what? We ought to say this. Heck no. You see, I serve a living God. I know what he's done. I know what he's going to do again. I have faith and trust in that God. That's what David says. Verse 27. The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. The people say, Oh, that's what's going to happen. You're going to cash in. Verse 28 and 29. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to these men. 
And Eliab's anger burned against David. His older brother got mad. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and your wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. Verse 29, but David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? The brother here, the older brother, sees the kid. He, he sees the skinny kid. He says, what are you doing here? I'm the oldest brother, and I think he's probably still mad. He got passed over for being the king. He, he was the older brother. He should have been the king. But he, he comes, and he sees his skinny little brother there, and he says, where are the sheep? This is a man's job. This is a man's occupation. Where, where are the sheep? Shouldn't you be back with the sheep? Verse 30. Here's what David does. Then he turned away from him and to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as above. Verse 30, he says this. His brother says, what are you doing here? Little skinny kid, you shouldn't be here. He turns away from his brother and says, now let me get this straight. I'm going to get the wife. I'm going to get rich. and They're going to set my family free. He turns his back from the brother. Here's what I want to tell you out of verse 30. When you know God, this is why we have to know God, but when you know God, when you truly know who he is, public opinion doesn't matter. When you know who God is, the majority opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say. You know what? My God stands and my God has said this and I've heard from my God and through his word I know my God. And when you know your God, public opinion doesn't matter. Even his brother says you ought to be back with the sheep. You know what he does? He turns his back. I don't need to hear from that guy. I know who my God is. In our age, in our day, Listen, more and more, we're going to have to be men who understand public opinion doesn't matter. Political correctness doesn't matter. Do you understand? 2017, we're going to have to get used to that. Well, you're a bunch of cowards. Jesse Ventura says this is a weak crutch for weak-minded people. You know what? You're, you're some kind of kook, some kind of fruitcake, religious goofball. And we're going to have to be able to stand against an opposition that's going to be in the majority and say, you know what? But I know God. That's who I know. That's who I hear from. I know God. Moving on, verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. They told the king, there's this crazy kid running around saying this stuff. And he sent for him. David said to Saul, David says to the king, let no man's heart fail on account of him. He's pointing at him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Don't let anybody be scared of him. He points at him. Your servant will go and fight with him. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're a youth. You're a kid. This guy's been a warrior from his youth. He's been killing people since he was a kid. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him from his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Listen to this, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Listen to this. He's gonna be like that dead bear because he has lipped off and taunted the armies of the living God. Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And David and Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Let me show you two things in verse 37. We're going to move on. First thing is this. David knew what God did in the past. And so he had learned to trust him with the future. And that's what that set of verses says this. David, David says this, you know what? Uh, I know what God did in the past. And I, I have fought a bear and I have fought a lion and I have, and I have stood and it was God who acted. That's what he says. It was God who delivered me from the paws of those things. It was God who has moved. It is God who has worked. And I have seen God in the past and so I have learned to trust him in the future. Listen to me, what this is saying is this. It is only by walking in faith and obedience that we grow in our trust of God. Now that's a huge thing for us to understand. You see people and say, man, what a great faith that is. The other day, Faye Ballou finds out I've got this cancer and I've got this and I've got that. And she says, you know what? I'll, I'll live and I'll be great or I'll die and I'll be with Jesus. And she wasn't scared of any of it. You see people with these great expressions of faith. Listen to me. It is by walking in faith and obedience and continually walking in faith and obedience that you grow in your trust with God. It's not something that happens in a flash. It's saying, you know what? I don't understand this and I may not like it, but God has said do it and walking in obedience obedience and faith that you grow in your trust with God. David's a little punk kid and he says this, I've seen him in the past, I'm not going to flinch in the future. Second thing to see there in verse 37 is this, it's a pretty goofy thing. <coughs> Notice there Saul, the king, says this, the Bible says this guy had killed thousands of people. Saul says, go and may the Lord be with you. How pathetic is that? How fake is that? That's a fake faith. That's some kind of faith that's for show. Those are the right words, but for this guy, they're words with no power. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know God the same way that David does because if he knew God the way that David did, he would say, oh, no, I'm not sending some kid. I'm going. If he said, oh, no, I'm not going to get barked at for 40 days by this lost pagan, I'm going to go. He'd say, nobody's going to slander the Lord, my Lord, my living God. I'm going to go. But he doesn't know God, and he doesn't have that kind of faith. And so he says, well, God bless you as you go. It's a fake faith. It's the right words that just don't mean anything. Which faith looks more like ours? Which faith looks more like yours? Do we say, you know what, I, I know what God's done in the past and I'm not going to flinch at what he's going to do in the future. I'm going to stand in obedience. Or do we say, God bless you as you go. Verse 38, moving on. Then Saul clothed David with his garments. What a, what a coward. <laughs> Here, wear my stuff. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his arm and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I can't go in these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Verse 40. And he took the stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put him in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and a sling that was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Verse 41. 
the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield with the shield bearer in front of him. Verse 42. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and handsome in appearance. Now what this means is this. He was insulted that this good-looking little kid's here. I've been calling out an army, and this little kid's what comes. He's insulted with who comes forward. Verse 33. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, his false gods. Verse 44. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me. Come on, kid. Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds in the sky and the beasts of the field. Verse 45, here we go. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Listen to verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove your head from you. I'm going to cut your head off, and I will give your body your dead body to the army of the Philistines this day and the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. Listen to me. In this verse, it shows us this. It is not about the giant. It's not about David. It's about God. He says, you know what? You stand here and you've got all these weapons. You've got this javelin. You've got this spear. You've got this armor. There's a guy in front of you holding your armor. Here you are, and you've come to fight with these things. And David says this, a little skinny kid that had been out feeding the sheep. He says this, but I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now, what that means, he comes in the name. It comes in the identity of. He comes in the power of the Lord of hosts. He doesn't come in his own name. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to be the king of Israel. I've already been anointed. My name is David. My dad's name is Jesse. He comes in the name of the Lord of hosts. He will fight. He will deliver. He will act. Get this. David says this. It's not my fight. It's not my strength, it's not my skill, and it's not my power, it's not my bravery, but it is the living God. It is the great, miraculous God of creation. It's the mighty God that delivered the, the, the nation out of Egypt. It is that God who acts on behalf of his people, and he says, you know what, I may have to pick up a rock, but this rock isn't my rock, he's my rock. He's my foundation, and it's him that I will place my trust. Get this today. It is God's strength. It is God's battle. And it is God's deliverance. It's pointing to Christ. And it's for God's glory. Verses 46 and 47, we're getting close. I'm going to read them together. And this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And I will strike you down and I will remove your head from you and I will give your dead bodies to the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts of the earth. Listen to this. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all of this assembly, both sides of the river, they will know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Listen to me today, guys. It is high time. It is past time that in a sad, sick, and decaying, 
and dying world. It is past time that in a world where the hope has been stomped out of us, in a world that's in despair, it is high time that in the men of God, the world will be able to look at them and see their trust because they know who their God is and say, you know what? North Korea may do this and China may do this and the KKK may do this and our government may be arrested and it's sad and it's, it's devastating and we have no hope. But I want to tell you, there is a God who lives in Israel. It's high time the people see the living God. He's on the throne today. He hasn't changed He hasn't gone anywhere. David knew who he was, and he said, you know what? The dust is going to settle to this day, and this giant's going to be missing his head, and both sides are going to know there is a God who lives in Israel. It's all for the glory of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's all for the glory of God. It wasn't about David. It wasn't about a giant. It's all for the glory of God. Let's hear what happens. Verse 48. And then it happened that the Philistine rose. Man, this guy's going to eat this kid up. And he came near and drew near to David. Then David, this guy's nuts, he runs quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag, and he took from it a stone, and he slung it. And he struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, so that he fell on his face. He'd mocked the army of the living God. He's on his face on the ground. Then David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was not a sword in David's hand. Listen to verse 51. Then David ran and stood over this pagan Philistine and he took out his sword and he drew it out of its sheath and he killed him and he cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Is that your God? Is that who you trust? Is that who you serve? Listen to me. Do you breathe for his glory? Try to picture how this ends. You can go on and read the rest of the account, but it ends like this. He, they chase the Philistines off. They leave dead bodies everywhere. He goes over and he saws his head off of him. He picks up the guy's 40-pound head, however long, how much his head had to weigh. He holds him by the hair, and this little skinny kid walks back into Jerusalem. He's walking back into Jerusalem, and he doesn't have the armor on. He never had any on. He's carrying the enemy that taunted the living God's head in his hand. His rotten blood's dripping out of the ground as he walks. And everybody's probably saying this. Look at David. Look at David. I want you to understand why David's a man after God's own heart. David says this. Look at God. Look at God. There is a God who lives in Israel. Here's the point to all of this. It's not about beating giants in your life. The point to all this is what will your life point to? Someday when your book is shut, will they say he breathed and he lived that the world would know there is a God. And I want to tell you as New Testament Christians, there is a Savior. And his name is Jesus. 
And they beat him beyond recognition and put him in a borrowed grave. And three days later, he comes out of the grave. He's alive and he's victorious. And will they say, you know what? This life pointed to our Savior, Jesus. There is a God who lives in Israel. What will your life point to? I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Every Father, we come, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And I'm thankful that it, that it tells us and it shows us the point to our life is the point to you. It tells us and it shows us the, the hope for a lost and corrupt and dying world is not people of great willpower, not people of great bravery and strength. It's people who know their only hope is in Jesus Christ. People with enough astonishment over such a Savior and such a salvation that they will say, I will get up today and I will breathe and my heart will beat to a point that the world will know there is a risen Savior. His name is Jesus. Lord, help us be encouraged in that. Lord, help us be built for that. Lord, help us to mirror that. I pray for the men in this room. As we walk out of here, that we would carry the banner of Jesus Christ. We would lift it high. I pray that a lost and dying world would say, you know what? Our hope is not in anyone or anything but our Savior, Jesus. Use us for that end. That when the world sees us, they would know there's a God who's alive in Vernon, in Texas, in America, in our world. Let us point to Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.